Okay, so now let's talk about this woman at the well. Very interesting conversation that we have going on here. Um, as I was saying, Sychar was at the side of Jacob's well in the Old Testament. Uh, and it was where J Jacob had first met Rachel. And that was in Genesis 29. Um, back when Jacob had first met Rachel, this is the backstory on this. The Samaritans, as, as they're calling them right now, uh, and the Jews uh, were pretty much one people. Okay? They shared a common faith. They shared a common heritage. They uh, had a deep devotion to God, to Yahweh. And they were pretty much one. Um, so when Jesus comes back here and has this meeting with this woman, it's almost like bringing that back into existence before this separation began to take place. This is a very interesting study. Uh, so what, we, what we're really seeing is Jesus taking this route back is kind of going back to the very beginning of where it all started at. Okay? Um, Jacob, back in that day, came with a proposal for Rachel. Alright? And here Jesus, who's waiting for this woman at the well, is bringing yet another proposal similar Almost like Jacob. What's well, the proposal that he's about to bring to them true eternal life in the Word of God? That he, God, in the flesh, and this is very important to note this, that Jesus, we know, is the second person of the Holy Trinity, correct? He thought it was extremely important that he hang out at that well at the most hottest time of the day to wait for this one woman to come so that he could reconcile not only her, but the Samaritans who would hear his word. This is very interesting because this is kind of Jacob went here to to marry Rachel. OK. And we know that Rachel being, uh, you know, very. Uh, highly looked upon. She's also looked at in prophetic view. Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. So Rachel is representative of the women of Israel. And so here we have another proposal right here. Kind of of a, of a marriage, so to speak. This woman did not know this. She had no idea what was going on. We are called what? The what of Christ? The bride of Christ, right? We are betrothed to Jesus. This is what Jacob wanted with Israel, uh, with Rachel right here at this same area, at this well where she was at in Genesis chapter 29. Okay? It was a marriage proposal. So Jesus, we are betrothed with Him awaiting the final marriage ceremony which will take place in heaven where we are forever with our Lord, never to be separate from Him. We are called the bride of Christ. The church, you and I, are considered the bride and he is the groom. 
And when we come together, He went away to prepare a place for us, just like the marriage ceremony in ancient Israel was conducted. A man would come with a proposal just like Jacob did. If the father accepted, the man went away and he worked like Jacob did. And he went away and he, and he built a place that was fit for him and his bride to live. And then he would come back and collect his bride and together they would leave. That is exactly what Jesus is proposing to this woman right here, even though she did not know this. And this is what goes on with the church is Jesus. We are betrothed with him. And then, then Jesus says, it's expedient for you that I go away for um, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I'm at, you may be also the people back then understood this. You see, back then they didn't live in a country where you could get married in so many different ways. There was only one stinking way you got married in ancient Israel. You didn't go and have a cowboy wedding. You didn't go and have a scuba diving wedding. You didn't go and have some dude that went and got his, his stinking uh, license to marry people off the internet because they would have stoned him and hung him from the highest tree like these fools do today. So if anybody passes this sermon around to someone who's getting ready to do this, don't shame yourself. And don't try to step on God's skirt tails like that because God will have the last laugh. Because you're not creating anything holy. That is set aside for men of God. You go to a, you go to a, 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 a mayor who marries you, well, that's nothing in God's eyes. God is not involved in that. To justice of the peace... God is not involved in that. To some crazy person who went and got their license to marry people, God is not involved in that. God does, it is a called man of God that is supposed to be performing weddings. That is something that was set aside for the priests. And if you're going to go into holy matrimony, then you need to redo it then. That's the bottom line. So, there was not many ways to marry someone. There was one way to get married. And that person who was in your town or the nearest person or the, the priest at the temple or, or whoever would, would come or you would go and that's where the covenant was sealed. That's how this happened. So it happened just as I said. Exactly the same throughout all of Israel. No one went to the local chariot house and said, I'm going to come riding in a chariot. Oh, look at my knight in shining armor. It is so funny the things that people do these days. Okay, no, it was exactly the same. It happened the same way. It was conducted the same way. Everybody took the same oath. Everybody took the same vows. Everybody said the same thing. Everybody was made in covenant with God. Okay? That's how it was done. So, understanding this was simple for the Jews back in that day because they completely understood how marriage was to be conducted. And it wasn't left up to your interpretation. This is how it's done. The guy comes. He proposes to the, to the, the woman's father. 
asked for her hand in marriage. The father would examine the situation, examine the dowry, what he brought, would say, yes, this works for me. This looks like a man that could probably take care of my, my daughter and create a family. It would be okay. The man then would go and get stuff ready for that. Go build a house, put a house somewhere for him and his wife to live in. When that was done, the marriage was, was, then, was then brought together. They were married. They left and went to that place. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do with the church. When Jesus is ready for us, He said, I'm going to come back and receive you to Myself. And that will be the rapturing of the church. And we're going to be taken away from here. And there we'll be with the Lord forever. And He's coming back for us. So understand that. Jesus said, in My Father's house there are many mansions. If it was not so, I would not have told you. So there is a place for you. And I'm coming back again to receive you to myself. Okay? So this is what was going on as we, re- as we had read through that. Um, and he was starting all over with this reconciliation. So, like I said, you didn't find many women at the well there during that time or that hour because it was... Typically, they came in the evening time. And Jesus wasn't confronting this woman's adultery or he wasn't confronting uh, her who she was staying with. uh, But he was wanting to get her to ascribe her allegiance to him and to recognize him for who he is. Now, there was a couple things going on here. Uh, The sacred mountain of the Samaritans was Mount Gerizim. The sacred mountain of the Jews was Mount Zion. And uh, if the Jews were to be reconciled, one would have to come over to the other's place. And this is why the woman responded the way she did in a physical manner. She said, are you asking me to forsake my fathers and come to Mount Zion? She's not understanding. But Jesus told her this, woman, believe me, the hour comes... Neither when this, in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You'll worship, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. Salvation comes from the Jews, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So there's two things here going on spirit and truth. And there's some, there's some issues that the woman was having where she missed the identity of Jesus and who Jesus was. He says here in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, that's one, and who you are speaking to, that's the other. She had these two issues in the very beginning of this conversation. Okay, let's look at one of these. The gift of God. What is the gift of God? What is this, these two things that she's ignorant of? And it's, it's, she's just so very physical and so very in the natural that it's hard for her to understand what Jesus is trying to tell her. Okay? The gift of God. 
Verse 10, he tells her this. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. Salvation is not a physical thing. Salvation that comes from heaven. Everybody thought the Messiah was going to come and and produce this physical, grand, just phenomenon where the Romans would be gone and everything would be great on earth. But the gift of salvation is not a physical thing, even though preachers today try to make it a physical thing. That if you're saved, this is going to happen to you physically. Well, that's just not the case. But this woman needed help inwardly. We need saved by what's going on spiritually within us. And it's the love of God that's bringing us this thing. Okay, And it's a gift of God. This gift that God wants to give you is total deliverance from the power and prison cell of sin and eternal damnation. And then she mistakes his identity. He says, there's two things that you have to understand. So for us, there's two things. The gift of God and who it is that brings it. Because you, to have the gift of God, you have to understand who the one is that God chose to bring it. So what is the Messiah then? Who is Jesus to you? Who is He to you? The interesting thing about this encounter was here is God right in front of this woman's face and she didn't know it. I want to ask you a question. How many times do you think God was right in your face in the most hottest part of the day in your life? In the most miserable part of the day? God was sitting there at the place you were coming to get relief And God was right there. For a lot of people, that well, Jacob's well, where she was coming to draw water, a lot of people that might be alcohol, a lot of people that might be drugs, a lot of people that might be theft. But Jesus was sitting right there in the hottest part of the day, waiting on her. And when she came, she didn't know who He was. I've preached that before. How that... How could someone not know God, the creator of the universe, when he's standing right in front of you? When he presents himself in such a manner that he's right there, he's trying to help you, and all the things that he keeps telling you keeps going right over your head. You're just not picking up, using today's terms, what he's laying down. You're not picking it up. You're not receiving the message because you're you're so focused on the well and and the physical water that you're not focused on what's going on and what you really, really, really need is not a drink from that water. What you really, really need is a drink of the living water. And so Jesus is trying to show this woman that what she really needs isn't what she came for. It's who it is that's speaking to her. So lots of times, what you, where you're going to get your relief from, God's trying to talk to you and give you the, what you really need. But your, your spiritual antennas, you've got to pull them up so that you can receive the signal. 
The identity of the Messiah was right in front of her. And she was so wrapped up in the daily grind that Jesus' identity was mistaken by her. Let's look at this. The woman left her jar. She ran into town shouting, come and see this man. And then the Samaritans came. They begged to stay with him. A couple points. Once the woman began to recognize Jesus as the Christ, because remember, she said, we're expecting the Messiah, the one you call the Christ, right? And he'll tell us everything, right? Ain't that what she said? Once she recognized Jesus, she ran to tell others. It was such a remarkable experience in her life that she couldn't keep it to herself. Now, this is still true today. I remember when I got saved, it was such a remarkable experience to me that nothing else mattered to me. All the stuff that was of my primary concern that day as I was on my way to church changed when I left church. Just like this woman whose primary concern was filling that jar of water rich was no longer her primary concern when she talked to Jesus and began to understand who he was. Why she left that primary concern and then took the primary thing that was on her mind and it was such a remarkable thing to her that she had to go tell other people about it. The very first thing that I did once I got saved was got on the phone. And I think my dad might have been the first one I told. Guess what, dad? What? I got saved today. You did. And I was expecting people to understand what was going on. And sinner people was like, oh, really? Oh, God, another freak. I'm like, okay, something, the greatest thing that I didn't know, right? I wasn't taken to church, so I thought everybody should be happy like I am. I thought it was something that everybody else should know about. Well, when I started telling other people about it, I started realizing that other people didn't have one clue what I was talking about. And they didn't look at it as a remarkable thing. They looked at it as, hmm, really? Ah, okay, thanks. But this woman went back and she was received a little differently. And she went back and you know, the one thing that God creates in you as a new believer is a lot of zeal. You want to go out and tell the world who Jesus is. And what he did for you. Because it's such a wonderful thing. Okay? I mean, listen at what she's saying. I mean, she, she, was, she come back to the town and said, Hey everybody, I, got, I knew a guy that, that knew all my affairs in this life. Okay, she wasn't even concerned about her life story at that point. She was concerned about the remarkable thing that happened that Jesus come into her life. 
It's, it's, it's an awesome story. So she ran to tell others. And others began to believe based on her testimony. But they weren't, they weren't, they, they, they were convinced that what she was saying They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't really content to believe only on her words. They wanted to know Jesus firsthand. And, this, and then that's what leads to their own encounter with Jesus. So when you become a believable believer, Man, that, that's some good words right there, folks. That's some good words right there. A believable believer. Okay, wait. we all got to say that together because that just come out, man. I didn't even plan that. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. A believable believer. Let me just take a moment to hit on those two things. A believable believer. There are a lot of people who are not believable believers you might hear them say something and you're not going to believe it but i don't know who this woman was i know she had been married five times so when she comes back perhaps the town knew this about her and when she comes back says hey everybody Maybe that's what made her a believable believer. You have to be a believable believer. Man, thank you, Lord, for those words. Everybody, that was straight from the throne. That was straight from the throne. Now listen to this. Both sides of the coin are important. How are you going to know that Jesus is the Christ unless someone tells you? But you can't adopt the faith of someone else. There are so many people that tries to adopt the faith of someone else. You'll never know the life that Jesus has to offer Unless you go and see him for yourself. You can't adopt my faith. That's why I like the fact that these people came to see Jesus for themselves. Oh, you can take my word for it. And right now, the gift of preaching is to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Not to me. But to introduce you to Him so that you for yourselves can not only hear the voice of testimony and the voice of preaching, but that you yourself can have your own faith by your own encounter with Christ. Remember I told you the story about the guy who had been in church for like 700 years at the old church I was at. I mean, he was 750. And he, would, he never had a salvation experience. He just adopted his faith from his mom. Well, mommy said I was saved because I go to church. 
Do you know that like to slap me right in the face? I couldn't believe it. So you've never repented and asked for forgiveness? Well, no, I mean, no, I've always been good. What in the world? Who's been the preachers of this church? Has no one ever told you the truth? And you were elected as a trustee all these years and no one examined your faith? I was flabbergasted. You can't adopt faith. You have to have it for yourself based on your encounter with Jesus Christ. Not mine, but yours. Okay. Did the Jews and the Samaritans then ever reconcile their differences? Eventually, yes, they did. Because like I told you in the beginning of church, Philip was sent to Samaria with the message that Jesus began. Jesus started it. He started the reconciliation. And so then eventually, that those two factions, the Samaritans and, and, and the Jewish faction, Mount Zion and Gerizim ended. And they were introduced to faith. Faith in truth and in spirit, spiritual worship of God. Wasn't necessarily temple worship. And it wasn't, remember Jesus turning the money tables over and the people that were selling the turtle doves? He was mad because they had made the house of God a den of thieves. He was mad because people were doing things. They were trying to worship God physically and then make money off the worship of God. Lord have mercy. Jesus would be, he'd be, he'd just go to Art's Rental and he'd get him a wrecking ball and just start going to every church around town. And what are you doing out there in that wrecking ball? <laughs> Joel Osteen, you made my father's house a den of thieves. Benny Hinn, I'm tearing your yacht down and I'm tearing your church down. Reminds me of that old Ray Stevens song, Would Jesus Wear a Rolex on his television show? I doubt it. Would Jesus have that gold tooth crown with a star in it right there? Would he have a grill? I doubt it. Lord have mercy. So, okay. First, Jesus was crucified. 50 days later came the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The church began to grow by leaps and bounds. They were scattered to the four winds. And Philip went to Samaria. I want to read through some of this. I want to look back at this just a little bit. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Okay. What were they doing? 
They were making a big deal about Jacob and the well that he dug. But the water that was there was water that couldn't save you. She didn't understand that when you take a drink of living water, that the thirst that you should have should be spiritual thirst. And I'm telling you, when Christ offers you that drink, because I have taken a, I have drank a full glass. When you drink of that water, it will produce the well springing up into everlasting life. You can't do without it. If you venture far from it in life, in your Christian walk, you will be driven back to it because it just keeps coming back. It keeps gushing forth living water, things that keeps you satisfied spiritually. You can drink that water right there and die one day and go to hell. Or you can take a drink of this water and live eternally. And he, be, he, he began this choice and this process of reconciling the Samaritans starting all the way back with Jacob and Rachel. What an interesting contrast and, and, and a happening. Jesus is bringing it full circle. The separation of the peoples that was once, once one became separated. Now truth and spirit and the Messiah was going to bring them back together. And it all was because of a woman at the well. At noon. If you read about Rachel, you'll see that as Jacob was there, Rachel was bringing the sheep in at noon. The woman at the well. 